0: Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox centering the marginalized Mormonism.
1: How you doing, Brother Knox? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: I am not doing bad. Thank you for asking. Um, it's been an interesting week for the Saints man. Uh, right. Where do we want to do we want to start with the whole Philemon thing first? Like how, how do you feel about that? Let's talk about our, this new excitement about our dialogue podcast group. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. So Derek and I have a brief announcement about Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. For those of you who don't know, Dialogue is an independent quarterly publication established to express Mormon culture and to examine the relevance of religion to secular life. You can find it at DialogueJournal.com. That's DialogueJournal.com. It's edited by Latter-day Saints who wish to bring their faith into dialogue with the larger stream of world religious thought and with human experience as a whole and to foster artistic and scholarly achievement based on their cultural heritage. You're going to find essays, talks and sermons, art, poetry, and, uh, and a lot more. It is a well-known and respected publication, and it's been around for about 40 years or so. It's actually where Sister Levina Anderson, if you guys remember the conversation we had about her some time ago, It's where she published the piece that would later earn her spot in the famed September 6th. But anyway, they they just established a new collective called the Dialogue Podcast Network. And Derek and I are excited to announce that Beyond the Block has been selected to be a part of this network. And we are super excited about it. Now, this is not going to change much for you guys. We will be talking about the collective regularly on the show and there will be ways to support the show and others in the collective through the Dialogue Journal site. But beyond that, this is simply a way for us to gather and support each other and further elevate examinations of Mormon theology and culture through the podcast medium. And again, we're excited and quite proud to be inaugural members of such an initiative. You can learn more about the Dialogue Podcast Network at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network.
1: Derek? Yeah, and I just want to say that one podcast can't be all things to all people, and I think that's really great that we have this opportunity to collaborate with other perspectives, other, other podcasts that are coming from different resources different backgrounds this will be really great to to uplift the diversity among us and I just really am excited about looking forward to learning what these other podcasters are doing and perhaps interviewing them or collaborating with them in some other way and sharing our material and really uplifting the conversation
0: so we'll go ahead and go straight into the news for this week there have been a couple of things to happen And we'll start with the whole, you know, we'll go ahead and start with what happened with the Come Follow Me lesson in Philemon this week. Now, we talked about Philemon last week on this episode or on our previous episode, but most of the members were not preparing to go over Philemon in their classes until this week or last week. And that is when people discovered a rather troublingly worded question in the come follow me student manual i'm just going to pull that up real quick the question itself reads while it was likely hard for philemon to forgive his slave who ran away how would the gospel of jesus christ have made forgiveness easier now I would I would assume that most members of color who read that or anybody who had a mind to see what's wrong with a slave having to forgive their master for running away would be problematic, but the fact that that made it into our study manuals in 2019 seemed to trouble a lot of saints. Derek, did you
1: have any initial reactions to that? Well, I now I'm going to have to admit something embarrassing to the world, but I typically so I teach gospel doctrine and when I teach and when I prepare for what we talk about each week, I don't actually look at the manual ever because I don't want it to narrow down what I was going to talk about or respond to. I just want to feel wherever the spirit is leading me to address something from the directly from the text. So I don't look at the manual beforehand. So I didn't even know that question was there mm. until the Sunday after I taught this lesson. And when I taught this lesson, I never talked about, um, Philemon having to forgive Onesimus Um, in fact so there is this issue about a debt and Paul doesn't ask Philemon to forgive the debt he asks Philemon to transfer the debt to Paul which is which is and but people are yeah and I think what's happened is we've got this cultural thing in our church about how to how to look at the at the text And one of the things most people do is they figure, like, I need to find something in this text for me. And I need to apply it to my life. And there's a very good part of that. But what happens is people will sort of naively take the text out of its context and make it say something like really weird. And one example of this, I should find out where this came from. But I know someone who reported working on some of the church curriculum for the uh, the previous you know the, the the curriculum they did years ago for the okay. gospel doctrine not the not the new one But they decided to play a little joke and put something in the text to see if the reviewers caught it or anything and Here's what they did. They looked at the um, Acts chapter 20 Account of Eutychus falling out the window so Paul was preaching till midnight. He was preaching for hours and hours and Eutychus fell asleep and fell out the window in Acts 20 and here's what this question said it, it perfectly captures the way a lot of Latter-day Saints approach the text the question that they said ask the class members if they have ever killed anyone accidentally in sacrament meeting and how they felt about it okay and <laughs> Wow and this this didn't make it into the final edition but they decided oh, we're just gonna put that in one of the drafts just for fun but that really is how a lot of people approach the text. They're like, instead of thinking about, here we've got an enslaved person centering their feelings, it's like, oh, I need to talk about forgiveness and how I feel, and I'm just going to appropriate this text in a way that completely violates the whole context and the feelings of people whose direct lives and their ancestors are affected by this issue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I, what I thought about it. I see. Got it, got it. Obviously,
0: um, and I'll admit this right with you, Derek, I don't typically read, you know, the student manual because oftentimes when I read it, I don't really find what I'm looking for. And I'm also trying not to color too much of what I end up gaining from the material by what is only in the Come, Follow Me student manual. In fact, just for this lesson that we prepared for today, there's only like three paragraphs about three different selections throughout the whole of Hebrews 7 through 13. And I didn't want to be confined to that. Very rarely do I, like I'll often skim the come follow me lesson in the uh, in the student manual just to see what is being said. But, you know, any deeper than that or, or read other questions, that is just something, not something I typically do for the same reasons that you've articulated just now. Um, and that also said, I, I didn't think too much about, you know, the context of this particular question because the whole point of the book of Philemon to me was – The point that christianity as an institution utterly dismantles the institution of slavery Mm -hmm. so i'm not thinking too much about you know for i'm not i'm not thinking at all about the message of this particular passage being forgive or sorry about philemon for forgiving onesimus that is not something i'm thinking about at all it never even occurred to me that that would be a question that somebody would think to ask and seeing that this was a question that someone thought to ask just further evidence to me that this is why representation matters you know we say this a lot on the show we said this when uh, sister aberto spoke in a, in a general conference this past this past general conference but there are certain messages that we are that we would not get if people of color were not allowed to speak in general conference mm-hmm. there are certain messages we would not get if we didn't hear from women during general conferences and i believe that this question would have had a significantly lower chance of making it into the manual if people of color had been helping to write the curriculum, helping to write these questions, helping to write, you know, a whole a whole book that's about a you know, for lack of a better word, a runaway slave. Like how how do we not have that perspective mm-hmm. written into the text? How do we not have that perspective written into the curriculum? And how does this question make it in to our curriculum in 2019? Like that just says a little too much, a little too much of the wrong thing about the people we have creating our curriculum. It just says to me, we don't really have adequate representation in these positions of leadership and in these positions of deciding what it is that the saints are going to learn.
1: Yeah, and that, that it also falls back to we need to have good people teaching gospel doctrine and teaching our Sunday schools so that no matter what the manual says someone's you know experienced that week they're coming to to their meetings on Sunday to be uplifted and get some yeah. motivation to strengthen them throughout the week. They don't want to be hearing that right right, and so that it falls on good teachers in the church and that gets back to the so the the point of the manuals and I think the point of the manuals isn't to limit or con- to control the conversation this is This is the other thing about this document that I read about the formation of the curriculum. Um, prior to the come follow me the the older curriculum what they said was they wanted to create manuals so that a three wor- three week Convert a convert of three weeks to the church can step into this calling and have something to say and there's there's an element of grace and um, Accessibility that I think is a, an important value there. Yes, we want yeah. people to feel empowered someone who is not a Bible expert Should be able to teach gospel doctrine and they should be able to have something to say and this helps people have something to say That might not have anything else to say and I think there's value to that. We just have to do it, right? but there's value in having a, a curriculum like that in part because someone who who doesn't have academic biblical training won't be um, or someone who doesn't have that won't be able to do a certain c- type of historical critical work on the text, but they can look at the text reflectively and ask questions about their life. And I think that's what they're trying to do. They just didn't do it well, and they didn't do it in consultation with the people who are directly affected by questions like these.
0: It should also be stated we shouldn't be like um, the Come Follow Me manual also seems to be written so that people shouldn't aren't necessarily expected to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, as much as I appreciate a critical read and a scholarly read of the text, what is most important that we get from the text, that we get from the lessons, is a greater testimony of Jesus Christ. The whole title of the curriculum is Come Follow Me, and to that end is what we want from the lessons, ultimately. Like, even though a more gathered reading or a more gathered understanding of what is written in the text is going to help us do that, if the person who is only a convert of three weeks is not able to do that, then that is a problem. So I do think that, um, you know, what you just said about the point of this curriculum is very important to is very important to put out there so that people understand that it's directed to the end of helping people come unto Christ. And if a convert of three weeks can't do that if they're thrust into this calling, then you know that's a bit of a problem because mm-hmm. who's to say that somebody else who's going to be sitting in these classes receiving these lessons is going to be do. Be able to do that same thing If a convert is not If a recent convert is not able to do that You know what I'm saying
1: Yeah and uh, the other thing is the This older curriculum dates back From a time of very lo- fast growth and expansion In our church throughout the world The 60s and 70s Where you have a lot of recent converts People you don't know what their background Put into, put into these callings And mm-hmm. um, that's an important value to, to take into account To explain why this type of Method got so popular in our curriculum, and we just have to make sure that method doesn't get distracted by um, Questions That actually are not based in a real understanding of people's lived experience like that's the problem the problem isn't with The concept of of likening the scriptures unto yourself It's like how you do it the implementation is where this fell through and the revision is where it fell through
0: right right speaking of which you can probably um, you can actually go to the sisters in zion facebook page where zandra actually talks in great detail about this much i don't know how long it is but you can certainly find it on the sisters in zion page there's a link to it on both the facebook page and on the twitter page and you know we could say a lot more about this but uh, zandra talking about this at length is probably going to be the best treatment you get of why this particular issue matters so much, and why we need to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, about this story, Derek?
1: No, not at this point.
0: All right, cool. Then let's go ahead and move on to what other pieces of news we got here. you want to talk about uh, the Mexico thing at all?
1: Yeah, let's just mention it, I mean, yeah. because it's on people's minds, and I have to admit, I don't know, and I think the, you know, we as the public don't know a lot of the actual details about exactly what happened and why um but it appears that three families uh who lived in Mexico uh were killed by some I don't know I see I feel weird talking about this cuz I don't know the details apparently someone mm-hmm. shot and killed and burned a number uh three families who come from a Latter-day Saint heritage tradition that uh and apparently they practiced polygamy. I th- is is that I think that's what I heard. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know about this. Um but anyway, so so the this was a family that uh, a network of family that lived in Mexico and and then were killed and I'm like and then the uh the news media apparently f- focused on their faith, mm-hmm. right? Um, But other than that I don't know what to say Because I don't have all the facts
0: Yeah neither do I simply because But I I definitely This is a terrible thing That happened regardless of You know the faith and of the nationalities Of those involved and thankfully I didn't see too many people Even on the extremes of our political spectrum Overly politicize this Particular story because this really is A tragedy but details true but details still seem to be emerging i can't find a lot that's definitive about this particular story about motive or about the context under which this whole thing happened or you know any investigations going on there's just i mean this is a relatively you know fresh happening it only happened about 4 or 5 days ago and even though people are still talking about it there's still a lot that we don't know so uh I, I think it's I think the best we can do for now is tell people to stay updated and obviously pray for these families. There's a GoFundMe on um there's a GoFundMe for these families. Uh if you want to support them, we'll put that mm-hmm. in the show notes if you'd like and uh just you know, keep this family in your prayers.
1: You know, the one thing that I kind of don't like is a some some people's immediate reaction was to to say Oh, these were not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. They're in another group. And I'm like, that's not the first thing you should be saying. It's not
0: it's not it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't right? matter. Right? That's
1: like if someone comes to you and said, you know, my 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 kid got run over by a car, you're not gonna say, Oh, that's not my kid. Mm-hmm. Right? You would empathize and mourn with those who mourn. It like the fact that you need to police the boundary maintenance of our tribe is your first Mm go-to that shows a lack of knowledge of christ who's at the head of our church Mm -hmm. right right so that's kind of the one thing i noticed
0: yeah yeah all right anything else you want to say about that or any other news we want to discuss before we? okay then let's go ahead and move to the come follow me for this week which is hebrews chapter 7 through chapter 13 Now, Derek, would you be so kind as to set the stage for us? We already talked about the historical context of the entire of Hebrews last week. However, if you wanted to set the stage again or reiterate some things before we talk about the context of 7 through 13, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, the whole point of Hebrews is to testify to the superiority of Christ. And all of these sub-arguments, you should think to yourself, how does this lead back to testifying of Christ, building hope and faith in Christ, and living out a christ infused life and so towards the end especially in hebrews chapter 13 we get some practical teachings about how how this looks in daily life that's kind of what i'm going to say for the introduction for more you can listen to last week's episode cool so
0: i have that there's a lot here with regard to the priesthood of melchizedek is there anything you want to say about the priesthood or about Melchizedek himself, Derek?
1: Yes. So in context, the author of Hebrews has a really delicate um, problem to talk about. The problem is that Jesus was not technically a priest. Um, he was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not ordained to the the priesthood of um, the descendants of Aaron. He was not a descendant of Aaron. Um, And he was not a Levite And so here's the issue is like What do we do with that And here's where the brilliance and genius Of the author comes in Basically the author here Is celebrating a giant loophole (laughs) And this loophole Is to say say, well Yeah I'm going to admit that Jesus was not part of a Levitical priesthood but there's another Priesthood that I'm going to talk about The priesthood after the order of Melchizedek The thing about Melchizedek is, let me just read this text right here, beginning in Hebrews 7. I'm reading from the Tom Wayment translation. And this is Hebrews 7, you said? Yes, Hebrews 7. 7. Okay. And uh, 7, 1 through 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings and blessed him. And to him, meaning Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father or mother, without a genealogy, he has no beginning of days or end of life. But similar to the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Mm. Now here's the thing. Melchizedek just shows up in the narrative out of nowhere in the middle of the text in um, Genesis 14 and Abraham pays a tithe to him now this does a couple of things one is we don't know where Melchizedek got his authority right that's what it says he's without he's a uh, fatherless motherless genealogyless, like he showed up out of nowhere and this is basically to make the analogy well Jesus showed up with his priesthood out of seemingly out of nowhere and so that's it the first point of the argument and the second point of the argument is that because Abraham is the father, or the ancestor of Levi, Levi was in Abraham's body when Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. So this is a really sort of clever reasoning. It may not be fully logical, but it's, it's effective to say, look, in some sense, symbolically, Levi is subordinate to Melchizedek. And so... Basically, the author of the Hebrews totally trumps this argument about, well, Jesus wasn't a descendant of Levi, so he couldn't have been a priest, and said, well, so what? I've got this loophole that you don't know about, that I'm just going to completely go around it. I find that brilliant, because there's some queer thinking in that. Sometimes we have to kind of go around the, the direct objections that are, uh, that are posed to us. And let's talk about Melchizedek as a queer hero, because, look, he is without father and without mother. He does, He's not the product of a of a nuclear family, straight nuclear family, and he also didn't create one. He has no children either in the record. He just shows up out of nowhere and disappears. No ancestors, no descendants. And I think for us who are queer, we can look at that and say, look, we can see ourselves in that. We show up out of nowhere. People ask us where we get our authority. People say our families don't look right. Uh, You're not you don't have kids, whatever. But I think appealing to Melchizedek. To defend the authority of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that is radical. And I'm like, wow, that is so beautiful. Mm. Any thoughts on that?
0: No, I didn't even it didn't even occur to me that, uh, you know, Melchizedek could be a queer hero for. Any reason, like when when you first said queer hero, I was like, "Where is there going to go with this?" (laughs) Like,
1: I can make anyone a queer hero, (laughs) except for people like maybe Judas or
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah. But like, it makes total sense in that um, you know you have this person who has all this authority who uh, the author of Hebrews is clearly deferring to, but this whole idea that Melchizedek has no father or mother has no traditional family has no kids like this is the position of a lot of uh, queer folks in the church you know there's that i mean you've already gone over it but it makes total sense why queer folks could look to melchizedek as a hero because of the prominent position that melchizedek held despite his lack of uh, for lack of a better word convention so thanks mm-hmm. for thanks for sharing that that's really cool
1: yeah and we we were latter-day saints like make a bigger deal ab- out of Melchizedek than most other Christians. We do. Right? We have our priesthood uh, the Melchizedek priesthood obviously named after him. I'm like, wow, I am so honored to to really graft myself onto this tradition. Mm. And in some ways it radicalizes the whole the whole system. When you realized, oh, this is the, the priesthood named after Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Then I want to, uh, that's all I had to say about, well, now in context, remember the whole point of this is to talk about the superiority of Christ over the Levitical priesthood system, right, the superiority right. of Christ over the sacrifices that the Levites offered, which now have ended.
0: And if we could like briefly just come back to this real quick, the whole the whole thing of Hebrews, the whole vibe of Hebrews is basically, seem, basically seems to be that the Hebrews are really going through it because of You know, their conversion to Christianity, and the author seems to be trying to make sure they stay in the faith. and Because the Hebrews seem to be wondering, is it worth it to stay here? You know what I'm saying? Right. Is it worth it to embrace Christianity? And it is in that vein, or it is in that uh, context, that the author of Hebrews seems to be talking to them. Talking to them about why, you know, Christ is superior, for lack of a better word. Am Am I understanding that correctly? Right.
1: Okay. Right. We don't know exactly the details about the background of the people, whether they whether they were ethnically Jews, whether they just knew the Jewish scriptures well, which is presupposed uh-huh. by the way the author writes it. It looks like they could have been the Roman house churches, uh, that this was written to the Roman house churches, and there's some evidence in Hebrews 13 that leads people to think that it was written to Rome. So that's kind of the situation that it may have. And, and, a, and there may have been some type of persecution yeah, or, I was that or, or some type of reason why they f- would feel pressured to be, abandon faith in Christ, either towards faith in Judaism as, okay. uh, or towards abandonment uh, to the Greco-Roman system okay. of religion. okay. So those would be the two biggest pressures that this community would have felt. Gotcha. Either, both of them which would reject uh, Christ. Okay. And that
0: really makes uh, sense out of uh, Hebrews 11. I don't know if that's where you're going next. We can save that for later. Yeah,
1: I, I'm i ready to talk about Hebrews 11. All right. What Do you want to say anything in that vein from
0: uh, Hebrews 11 first? Yeah, I want to hear you first. All right, cool. Because uh, I do want to talk about... Well, I want to talk about Hebrews 10, 32 through 35 first. And I want to put that in the context of Hebrews 11 which I want to, in turn, put in the context of this whole letter. Now, now, last week and a bit today, we've spoken about why this letter is being written and what's going on with the Hebrews. The Hebrews seem to be challenged in their faith, and they clearly don't seem to be enjoying it. Now, some counsel found in Hebrews ten thirty-two through 35, exhorts the Hebrews... However, to call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Then, the author gives them some pretty powerful counsel to cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. This is said just before the author recounts the experiences of saints that came before who also went through trials, but also experienced miracles through faith. So the author seems to be telling us that discipleship or righteous living or whatever is not going to preclude us from trials. In fact, many of the stories we have in Scripture are of the righteous experiencing trials and overcoming them through faith, which seems to be primarily what Hebrews 11 is focused on. I call Hebrews... 11 and passages like it my hard time passages because like i I, i'm really able to like these are the passages i go to in hard times just to remind me and just to help keep things in perspective for me now in hebrews 11 reminds us of the righteousness of saints in times of sore trials and how they were able to experience miracles through faith Many of the verses in Hebrews 11 begin with the phrase, by faith, and I'm going to admit to being a sucker for a well-placed anaphora. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By faith, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham. Through faith, Sarah. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. And so on and so forth. We get the same thing in Ether 12 by faith Christ showed himself unto our fathers by faith was the law of Moses given by faith that the three disciples obtained a promise that they should not taste of death and I'm going to hit you with one more in 1 Nephi 17 Ye know that the children of Israel were in bondage. Ye know they were laden with tasks which were grievous to be born. Ye know they should be brought out of bondage. Ye know Moses was commanded to do that great work. Ye know that by his word the Red Sea was divided. Ye know that the children of Israel were fed with manna in the wilderness. And ye also know that Moses smote the rock and there came forth water. All three of these passages got something in common. Every single one of these passages, there are prophets speaking to people that are experiencing hardship and reminding them that they are not the first to experience it. While simultaneously telling them that they're not going to be the last to experience it either. And they're not going to be the last to experience miracles like their forebears. If they exercise faith, that is the condition. They have to exercise faith. And Nephi shows us that he understands this at the end of his rebuke of his brothers when he says, finally, in verse 50, verse 50, verse 50 and 51 of 1 Nephi 17, quote, If God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. If he should command me that I should say unto this water, Be thou earth, it should be earth. And if I should say it, it would be done. And now if the Lord has such great power and has wrought so many miracles among the children of men, how is it that he cannot instruct me that I should build a ship? Close quote. Like, dude, this hits me hard every time I read it, and it's a gentle reminder to all of us that discipleship, while not easy, is always the best way forward, and I believe that's what the author is telling the Hebrews.
1: Yeah, that's really great. And I think part of what sustained all these people is their hopes and their faith. That's the whole point of Big all time. of this. And the 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 thing about this this hope and faith thing is so much of it is future oriented. That yeah. they were looking forward to a promise. They were they were they held their faith, they they kept alive their dreams because they knew that something was coming. And sometimes and for the most in ma- most cases it didn't come in their lifetime like Moses didn't even step foot in the promised land Right there are many right. people in exile who longed for deliverance that didn't live to see it and yeah. there are many people throughout Throughout uh, the Hebrew Bible that were looking for Messiah and didn't see it That's actually what what the author says in Hebrews eleven thirty nine, and these were all commended because of their faith But they did not receive what was promised. So they what they received was enough hope to tide them through even whether or not They saw in their own lifetime the things that were promised But all of them were looking forward to something and I think yeah. that's really what the Lord gives them is that assurance Yeah that their hopes will and dreams will be realized at some point Yeah and that the Lord's with them through all of it I want to talk a little bit about some of these heroes of faith as queer heroes Okay, People why not? Get tired of that. Talked about
0: <laughs> Melchizedek. Let's 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 queer
1: hero fight everybody. Yes. Now let's talk about Moses here. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna read chapter eleven, verses twenty three through twenty seven. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. Now here's the faith of the Moses' parents was that they engaged in civil disobedience. There's a place Mm. for civil disobedience. The authority of our secular rulers, I especially have to say this in 2019 in America, is not absolute. We don't have to obey things that are uh, contrary to God's law. God's law takes precedence.
0: Sometimes being... A good Christian means being a bad citizen.
1: And even President Oaks, I, I love this phrase, even Oaks. Even President <laughs> Oaks says that, yes, we believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in sustaining, honoring, and obeying the law. But that's that's not absolute. That has exceptions. Yeah. Even Oakes says, the you know, the legal and judicial scholar that Oaks is, he says there are exceptions yeah. to that. Um. So let's go on to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused. I love that word. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. This says a lot about power and privilege. Okay. He was raised as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had all the privilege and power and, and the wealth of Egypt behind them. Now, he gave that up. Yeah, that's what we want to see from allies mm-hmm. is people giving up their privilege and standing with the people that they want to To be in solidarity with and that's literally what what Moses did he gave all of that up To stand with his fellow Hebrews Now it turns out that he himself was of that population to So in some sense he was closeted he was in in a closet situation He could have remained in the closet, but he decided to risk coming out as a Hebrew and say, look, I'm gonna stand with my people. Mm. I think, you know, this is what I think. I was thinking about this text and, and saying to myself, our church would be very different if all of the LGBT people who are in positions of authority that are currently closeted, if they all came out on the same day, the world would be very different. I imagine there are a number of, I'm sure there's general authorities and bishops and stake presidents and area authorities and uh, women leaders in the church. Many of them are secretly LGBT because a lot of these date back from a time when, uh, when the church told people, oh, just marry someone of the other gender, it'll all work out. And a lot of these people did that in the past few generations. People don't do that as much anymore. But all of the people that are in leadership now date back from this time where they did that. There's a I'm sure there are a lot of closets. I know of a few people who are closeted bishops Um, Mm. But think about the power we would have if those Abandoned the fleeting pressure What how does it say the fleeting pleasures of the closet and stood with us stood with my people? stood with those of us who are bearing the brunt of of straight supremacy and cisgender supremacy in our church like, what What that would do to our church, that's probably the biggest thing. We would have all these people in leadership now who are saying, look, I'm openly LGBT, we're here, and we're going to do something about it. Mm. Uh, but that's what Moses did, and that's an act of faith. Because it's saying, look, I know it's going to be tough in the moment, but in the end, maybe not even in my life, but in the end, it's for the better that I do this, make this sacrifice, and stand with my people.
0: This also seems to be a type of Christ, like... Um Yes. In that Moses forfeited mm-hmm. all of his privilege, all of the power that he had, in order to stand on the side of the oppressed and liberate them. Like we read about this just in uh, just in Corinthians, we read about it again mm-hmm. in Philippians, mm-hmm. where uh, where Paul is, in essence, saying that Paul, or sorry, Paul is saying that Christ shedded his privilege; he made himself poor, he made himself into poverty that others might be made rich. Like I didn't even catch that on this read through, but Moses, in, in essence, did the same thing.
1: Yeah, and verse 26 he considered the reproach experienced for Christ Meaning that all the push the bit back he would get because of Christ Yeah to be greater than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking forward uh, He was looking for the reward by faith He departed from Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he perceived as though he could see the invisible one meaning God mm. I'm like that is so powerful because he was able to do this because of his faith he foresaw the faith He's, he by faith he foresaw Christ and like i'm doing this because of something i will never get yeah i'm like wow we need leadership like that Big today time. um i'm like that is so powerful that helps people who are closeted know what to do it helps allies who want to stand with my people to know what to do it's going to that's you know i hate to say this but <laughs> do you know the <laughs> the mark of an ally isn't like what you're willing to do it's what you're willing to lose mm. like i could i i lose nothing by putting a black lives matter thing on my facebook mm. right i lose nothing by by a lot of these things like the question for me is if what what privilege and power and security and comfort am i willing to give up because if it doesn't cost me anything It's not really allyship.
0: Mm.
1: If it doesn't cost me anything, it doesn't it's not allyship to me. And that's why I kind of loathe saying that because now I'm gonna be accountable to that. (laughs) But I wanna ask straight people, what are you if all these straight people who claim to be allies, are you actually willing to lose anything? If you're not, then you're not an ally. Are you willing to lose your standing, the respect of of conservative people in your ward? Are you willing to lose your temple recommend or your membership in the church if need be? I'm not saying you should do that. Um, No, I haven't haven't done that. But think about it. If you are willing to prioritize your comfort and your whatever over the dignity and inclusion and lives of my people, you're not doing what Moses did. Mm. You're not doing what Christ did.
0: You're not under honoring your covenants, basically. Right,
1: right. You're putting so, your
0: comfort over your covenants.
1: Exactly. So, so that's enough about Moses. I'm going to go on and talk about Rahab for just a second. If I may, Derek. Oh,
0: like this just segues too well into uh, what I was, what I wanted to say about Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse
1: 2. Oh, good. Let's talk about that. Yeah,
0: I'm just going to read this verse real quick because we've mentioned it in a previous episode, but it's worth, uh, it's worth mentioning again simply because of what you just went over. This is uh, Hebrews twelve two again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, our, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I actually really did like the question that was posed by the Come Follow Me student manual here. question being, why was Jesus willing to endure the pain and suffering of the cross, and what does this teach us about how we can endure our trials? You talked about Moses just now, how Moses knew or Moses wasn't entirely sure that he would get to experience all of his blessings in this life. However, we learn from both Moses and from Jesus Christ that what allowed them to endure the trials, and in Christ's case, the humiliation and pain of the cross, was the fact that they had faith, or rather they knew that in the future they would be on the right hand of God. They did it for the joy, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, That is why he endured the cross. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. How, for us, one thing that can really help us get through trials, one thing that can really help us get through this idea of losing privilege, of being good allies, is this idea that we are going to gain far far more than we end up losing. In the pursuit of allyship, while we may lose privilege, while we may lose status, while we may lose access, we are going to be gaining something much greater in the future. As it says in Hebrews twelve two, for the joy that was that is laid before us, we can endure any trial, we can endure any privation, we can endure any amount of suffering, mm-hmm. because we know what the blessings of discipleship, true discipleship, are.
1: Yeah, that's really profound. Um, and that reminds me of, of sort of Rahab's positionality here, too. And I love the fact that that the author of Hebrews doesn't just list men. Right. Um, lists women, too, including Sarah and uh, Rahab. But with Rahab, okay, first of all, she was a sex worker in Jericho, and she was on the margins of society, um, and she was literally on the margins of the city. She lived in the city wall. And I want to talk a little bit about her positionality here because so what happened is the the spies of israel came to jericho and she received them and hid them and chose to throw her lot in with them so that when they came and attacked jericho only her family was only she and her family were saved Mm. now what this tells me is it's really interesting that she now that now she is listed as a hero of faith right for for foreseeing where things were going and and Putting her lot in with where it was going like she decided oh look I realize these people are gonna win I'm gonna get on their side and she she had that as the future she was envisioning she's also listed as a hero of faith in James the epistle of James and also an ancestor of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 so Rahab's really important and she's a sex worker and she's a hero of faith she's a sexual minority someone stigmatized and I think it was her position as a sex worker that enabled her to see things that other people didn't or to do things that other people couldn't for example she had the i hate to use the word privilege but i'm going to use it she had the privilege of being able to host random strange men at all hours of the night and no one suspecting anything right she Mm. was known as a sex worker she had men all the time in her place and so she was able to use her identity and her positionality in in service of of the advancement of god's uh kingdom, and I'm like, wow, we should all be able to do that, and that's why I think she's a queer hero because i I think there's other people in Jericho who could have done the same thing but didn't because they didn't have the same positionality hmm. and so that's what I, that's kind of why I think Moses and Rahab and I just want to go back and talk about Abraham because you reminded me so Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve was asked by God and saying, go to the place that I will show you. He doesn't say go to this place. He said go on your journey and take the first steps, not even knowing where it's going to end up. And then I think is a powerful example of faith. All of these people took the first steps of faith, just like in either 12, uh, that you don't receive a witness until after the trial of your faith, That is so powerful. And that's, I think, what we have to do as LGBT people in the church. We have to take some steps not knowing exactly where it's going to go and what timetable. We as a church are asked by God to take steps towards LGBT inclusion and equality and dignity, not knowing exactly what that's going to look like. And that's scary for a lot of people. That's scary for a lot of straight people in the church. But God's asking us to step out in faith and say, I'm going to take a step towards LGBT people, even though it's a little uncomfortable, even though I don't know where it's going to go, God's asking us to take that step anyway. And if we follow these examples of faith, we're going to take that step.
0: Mm.
1: We're going to take that step, and it's going to feel like a risk. But if we have trust in the Lord, it's not a risk.
0: Right. That is probably one of the most profound truths I've come to know when it comes to uh, allyship and discipleship. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, the book of hebrews we're nearing the end here. Yeah,
1: I want to look at just a few verses in hebrews 13 13 1, brotherly love must continue do not neglect sh- to show hospitality for by doing so some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them mm. And those who were mistreated Because you also have a body. So yes, we need to have brotherly love We need to not uh, avoid hospitality, which is really what Rahab did and what Sodom and Gomorrah didn't do hmm. is is receive strangers and advance the kingdom of God uh by receiving the strangers and this applies to to so many issues today of of xenophobia anti immigrant anti muslim anti l g b t racist all these other ideologies of evil that say look i need to to be negative towards people who are different and right here we're commanded and we're covenanted to do the opposite we need to receive people with hospitality because you know some of those people could be angels yeah so i just find that a very fitting way to to really summarize the practical lived expectations of everything that came before in the letter to the hebrews all right so that's all i had to say about hebrews i believe i'm done with hebrews as well so
0: with that, let's go ahead and move on to the prayer roll. And it looks like we have the same one for this week. Yes. Um, so T.I., this, this dude ended up in some hot water this week because he proudly declared that he takes his daughter on a yearly trip to the gynecologist to make sure her hymen is intact. Now there is a lot to unpack here and i don't want to put all of it aside because the the biggest thing to me about this whole thing is that this is abuse is it not like this seems a lot like abuse right but that there's so much to unpack here like uh, like 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 the first thing being ti doesn't seem to know that much about how female anatomy works like first of all not all hymens are created equal not all women are even born with hymens Mm -hmm. hymens are also super flexible and you know it's not an accurate indicator of whether or not a woman has engaged in sexual intercourse or not so there's that whole thing ti's total just absence absent-mindedness when it comes to how female anatomy works and also the fact that i know way too much about his daughter I know way more about his daughter's life than I should know as a complete stranger. So there's that whole element too. But the most, the the most disturbing part of this to me is just that this really seems like abuse. And I only say that word seems because you know I'm not a woman. I don't know what it's like to be in this position. And I, you know, I'm just trying. This is just me trying to tread carefully on this whole subject. But this really seems. Like abuse to like literally insert your patriarchal ideals into his daughter via a virginity inspection. Like, that doesn't, I don't know what TI is trying to do, but that is certainly not protection. You know what I'm saying? Like, this just seems like an overprotective father trying to make sure his daughter's good, but this is like the exact opposite of that. This is psychologically damaging. And what kind of message are you sending to your daughter when you take her into? a yearly gynecologist appointment to make sure her hymen is intact. That just that, that just seems like, I mean, that's sending the message that her body is not her own. And this young lady is 18 years old, by the way. So there, there's
1: just so many layers of problems to this whole thing, you know? Yeah, and one other problem is this gynecologist should be licensed by the state and have ethical standards that I don't think were met here. Well, the thing is, what happened is
0: they did actually highlight that, like they said, yeah, well, even
1: if you sign a release, uh, someone who's ethical should say no, this is not a valid medical use of my skills uh-huh, and this is something that I'm ethically not allowed to do there's mm. certain there's certain you know certain professions have ethical and moral obligations right, and this is one of them, I think, and that that like if someone is going to use um, you know, use my skills to do something. I'm like, no, even if they sign a release, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that.
0: Right. It's still a violation of her womanhood, a violation of her personhood, a violation of her sexual development. Like, a doctor should not be doing this anyway.
1: Yeah. Not it's, to
0: mention the very dangerous messaging about her worth and her ability to own her body, you know what I'm saying? Just, or to even own her own sexuality. She's She's 18 years old. We won't even... Get into how much of a violation it is for your father to disclose such intimate details about your
1: genitalia in a public sphere. Just there's so much yeah, wrong with this. And the, the, another layer is apparently there's this double standard. Yeah. With, does he
0: have that same energy with his sons?
1: Yeah. Because apparently, now I don't know if this is true, apparently he has sons that are sexual active and he's like proud of them. I'm like, what?
0: I wouldn't be surprised by that if it were so like i didn't hear anything about it but i wouldn't be surprised about that at all but
1: yeah it's it's like there's this this major double standard that that somehow for young men to have sex like that's an achievement and for young women to have sex it's a diminishment of their like economic value and their Mm -hmm. ability to be to be exchanged uh, which dates back to this traditional understanding of marriage of being a financial transaction between a father And a and the the groom, right? Mm. Uh, The daughter is transferred from the ownership of the father to the ownership of the groom. I'm like, no, this is not not right to treat people that way. Um, and there's just so uh, then there's this other layer of baggage because virginity is a social construct. Yeah, the way it gets deployed and implemented and and understood is an artifact of how our culture, what we. Value and what we prize and what we don't Prize and I and that's completely A a cultural and social construct
0: Very patriarchal one as well
1: And there's just a lot of a lot and I Imagine that there's a lot of Christian baggage Underlying this there is a I hate to bring it up but a a Provision in Deuteronomy Chapter 22 That Well let me just say it deals with some of these issues I don't even want to talk about it But um Things like that uh it involves uh, you know parents being required to prove the virginity of their daughters to the husband mm-hmm. and what happens if if their daughter' is not a virgin on the wedding night, things of that nature gotcha and i'm like yeah there's 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 this whole Christian baggage that that gets uh taken almost quite directly from the scripture around the value of virginity, the value of daughters virginities. I mean like yeah, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be questioned and unpacked and and contradicted. Yeah. And then there's um Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of mess here. Whole bunch of mess.
0: <laughs> well I'm sure Twitter's lighting this boy up right now, so Yeah. We probably don't need to say much more about TI other than simply pray this dude gets an anatomy book and mm-hmm. also some sense. Like yeah. this is just, this is just a mess. I'm just so like appalled that this is a conversation we're having in 2019 that we have to, that that we, ha- that there's a man proud of imposing his patriarchal ideals on his own daughter and not keeping that same energy at all with his sons. And it's a mess, it is a mess anyway. It is a mess.
1: And I, I should also add that, um, Women aren't th- aren't the only one with vaginas. You know there are mm. there are men with vaginas and non-binary people with vaginas. There are you know um, we we should include the trans experience here as well to say look that all of these patriarchal and cis normative ideals are hurtful to not just women but also trans people of all genders. Mm-hmm. Well then, if
0: that is all we want to say about Ti, then yeah, let's go ahead let's and wrap up on. the show and uh, get on with some
1: housekeeping items. Derek, where can people find us? they can find us at beyondtheblockpodcast.com and you can also find us on facebook and twitter we are likable not just in real life but also on facebook and here's the other thing is i like to get feedback we have a number of we have hundreds of listeners and you're welcome to like send us questions and send us comments send us feedback like Speaking i would of feedback we got that survey oh the survey yes
0: Survey is still up. The survey is pinned to our Facebook page and it is pinned to our Twitter page. So at the top of both of those pages, you can see a link to a survey where you can basically let us know a little bit more about you and also tell us what you think of the show. We have a final question that says, just tell us whatever you want to know or tell us whatever you want us to know about the show. And we would greatly appreciate that. We are doing this for you guys. So we want to know how to best make it for you. But anyway, that is all we got for you guys today. Yep. We that's will it. see you guys next week. D- see you next week. Bye.